Today we'll talk about hope in your hopeless situation. Hopelessness. When you talk of hopelessness, we are talking about despair. We are talking about a situation where, uh, you know, you, you are depressed. Because depression is a sign of hopelessness. You feel rejected. You feel rejected. Any uncommon or uncomfortable situation can result in hopelessness. When you cannot see your way through or beyond today, you cannot see beyond your current situation. You become hopeless. Hopelessness can be very frustrating and it can be very stressful. And you go through stress because you are hopeless. And in the next few minutes, you know, I will talk about how do you regain your hope? Even through hopelessness. Last week, for those of you who were with us last week, last week we, we saw people who willingly left everything to follow Jesus. And those are what you call disciples. Disciples. And we talked about some of the disciples who gave up and they went back home after Jesus was crucified. Now, out of the many disciples that Jesus had, one day he sat down and he selected twelve he selected 12 and he called them apostles. He called them apostles. One of those apostles, actually the first one to be selected was Peter. And we are going to spend almost 90% of our time talking about Peter today. We will see a group of believers who were forced to leave their homes. This one they did not volunteer. They were forced to leave their homes, to leave their jobs, to leave their families. Not out of their own volition or out of their own will, but they were forced by circumstances. And there was no hope of them returning to their homes or returning back home. You know, just like we see with uh, a lot of our, foreign, uh, our foreigners, you know, our brothers and sisters from, from other countries or from other nations. They become foreigners because of pressing reasons and circumstances uh, in their own countries. Some could be economical, some could be political. But whatever reason that, you know, uh, that they, uh, they might have, just imagine, just imagine, just imagine being forced to leave the comfort of your home. I don't know where you are joining us from right now. But if you are home, let's say you are forced to leave your home, to leave your village, or to leave your town or your city, to leave your house where you are living right now. And you are forced to stay away and without any possibility of going back home. That is the hopelessness that I'm talking about here. You look at your situation. And it looks like. There's no possibility. Of the situation changing. Now let's look at Peter. Peter he is the one who wrote. What you call the first epistle. Or the epistle. Epistle simply means a letter. He wrote a letter. And I want us to focus on that letter today. We'll look at the short background. Uh, of how that letter came about. This letter was written by Simon, Simon Peter. Originally, his original name is Simeon. Simeon Barjona. Bar simply means son of. So when you say Barjona, it means he's the son of Jonah. He's the son of Jonah. 
He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. One of the twelve. Like I said, he was, he was the one who was chosen first to become the apostle of Jesus. And that is very important. So when Jesus came, before he started in his ministry, what he did, the first thing he did, he identified 12 disciples or 12 volunteers. And he called those volunteers apostles. He called them apostles. And apostle simply means a sent out one. Someone who has been sent out on a mission. An apostle is one, you know, who has a call in his life. A call to start churches, to oversee churches or to plant churches. And the apostle must have some variable or you know, something that you can vari- uh, verify. The, 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 we must have some fruits that you can show. He must have planted churches. I know some people will just you know, run around and they call them apostles. They have not started any church. An apostle is somebody who goes to a place where there is no church at all. And he starts a church from zero, from nothing. Not somebody who, you know, who fishes from the, <laughs> from the bucket. From somebody who has already fished. You don't go and pick up and get people from other people's churches and you start a church with them. No. You start from scratch, from zero. That is an apostle. That is an apostle. I know there are some people who believe that there are no more apostles. The last apostles were those 12 apostles of Jesus. That is not true. Paul, remember Paul? Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples. But he was an apostle was an apostle because he will go to places where nobody has ever heard about the gospel. And he will go there and he will establish a church. So he was an apostle. Actually, if you check one of my books, Leading Volunteers, there is a section where I talk about this. Leading Volunteers. So Peter was not his original name, like I said. His original name, his Hebrew name is Shimon. Shimon. So, in Greek, Shimon is Simon, or Simon. Simon, Simon. So, Jesus gave Shimon a nickname, and the nickname that Jesus gave him was Petra. Petra means a rock, or Peter, as we call it in English, Peter. Petra means a rock. One other thing that we know about Peter is Peter was not educated. He was a fisherman from Galilee. He was a fisherman from Galilee. So, uh, I will show you a map of where Peter came from. He came from a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida. And Peter has a brother. The name of his brother was Andrew. The name of his brother was Andrew. But later, Peter moved from uh, Bethsaida... And he, he lived in Capernaum. Capernaum, it's called Capernaum. That's where Peter moved to uh, later. That's where Peter moved to later. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is in the northern part of Israel. Those of you who just came back from Israel, this will make a lot of sense to you. The northern part of Israel, that's where we have the Sea of Galilee. So Peter, he lived here. That's where he was born, in Bethsaida. Bethsaida. But he moved from Bethsaida to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he came to Capernaum, Capernaum. That's where the headquarters of Jesus' ministry was. So Peter lived here in Capernaum. And, you know, you know this is uh, Genezareth, this is Magdala. Magdala, that's where Mary Magdalene came from. Mary is one of those supporters of Jesus. I think I will find some time, uh, probably before, uh, maybe in the next few Bible studies or so, we'll spend some time and talk about this lady, 
Mary Magdalene. She was from Magdala. That's why she was called Magdalene. She was called by where she was coming from. This is Tiberias. And yeah, and that's where most of the boats, you know, they will leave from Tiberias uh, to uh, Genezareth or to Capernaum or other places. So that's where Peter came from. He came from Bethsaida. And he moved to Capernaum or Capernaum. That's where uh, Jesus' ministry was. Another thing that we know about uh, Peter is his mother-in-law, I mean, Peter was married. So his mother-in-law was staying with them. The other time she was sick. And Jesus came and he healed them. And after he healed them, then she started cooking for them and served them. So Peter, his brother Andrew, and his wife and his mother-in-law, they all lived in Capernaum. They lived together as a family. And the name of the father of Peter and, and Andrew was John. That's why we say Simon Bar John. The name John, you know, is derived from the Hebrew name Jonah or Yohanan. Yohanan, it simply means graced by God. Graced by God. So Peter's brother was Andrew. And this is significant because Andrew is the one who introduced Peter to, to Jesus. Andrew was the follower of John the Baptist. So one day when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the river Jordan, he saw Jesus coming and he introduced Jesus to his own disciples. And Andrew started to follow Jesus. So if you look at John chapter 1 verse 40, John chapter 1 verse 40, we see Andrew here is introducing his brother Peter to Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 40, the Bible says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. This was very important. Because all this time they were reading in the Tanakh, they were reading in the Bible, they were reading in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, about the prophets who were prophesying about the Messiah who is coming, the Messiah who is coming. Every Jewish boy, every Hebrew boy, he will grow up reading in the Scriptures that the prophets, Prophet Isaiah and other prophets, they have prophesied that there is coming a Messiah. There is coming a Messiah. Now here comes Andrew, he says, and he quickly rushed back to his brother and said, My brother, I have found, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah that we have, been, I mean the Christ, the Messiah that we have been told about. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. So it is Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon. Son of John, you will be called Cephas. You will be called Cephas. Cephas simply means the rock. Cephas, that's his new name or his new nickname. So, Cephas, it simply means Petra. Petra means the rock. Peter. Peter. So, he said from now on you will be called Cephas. You will be called Peter the rock. You will be called Peter the rock. That is how uh, Peter's journey with Jesus started. Remember, Peter did not follow Jesus at this point. He decided to follow Jesus the next time when he met with Jesus. Remember, when uh, Jesus told him that from now on you will become the fisher of men. That is the time when Peter started to follow Jesus. And later, uh, Jesus appointed him as one of the twelve apostles. 
From that day on, Peter followed Jesus everywhere he went until the day of the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. Until Jesus was crucified. So during the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus, it was Peter who followed the temple guards to the high priest's house. Remember, the trial of Jesus took place at the high priest's house. It took place at the house of the high priest. That's where the trial took place. And that is where Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And he denied him three times. And after the death uh, of Jesus, Peter was one of the, uh, of the people who visited the tomb on Sunday morning. He rushed to the tomb and he found that the, the tomb was empty. He found that the grave was empty. And some time later, Peter gave up on the ministry. Remember on Saturday when he gave up on the ministry and he wanted to go back fishing and everything. And Peter returned to fishing on the Sea of Galilee when he found that they had stolen the body. Because that was the narrative. They believed that his body was, Jesus' body was stolen. So he gave up on everything and Jesus later appeared uh, to him. And Jesus reminded him of his threefold denial. And what he did is he asked him three times if he loved him. Then Jesus, you know, he welcomed Peter back and he said, If you love me, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And Jesus prophesied that Peter will be bound and will be executed for his faith. And it was after the infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that's when Peter started to preach. He preached a very powerful sermon. Actually, Peter was one of the most powerful preachers, you know, on that day, uh, in, that, in that first Christian church. And he spoke to a very big, a very big crowd in Jerusalem. And the Bible says about 3,000 of, of them, they joined the church. That church, it became a mega church in one day. Just, just imagine, look, look at your own church. Look at your own church. In one day, you have 3,000 people convert and they join your church. I mean, three, not, not, not 30, not 3 people, three, not 300, but 3,000 people. All of them, they join your church in one day. That's exactly what happened. So in the book of Acts, we see the church growing among the Jewish community in Jerusalem and also in the neighboring cities. But then later, around 64 AD, the Christians in Jerusalem, they were persecuted. They were persecuted as a result of the rebellion of the Jews, I mean of the Jews against the, against the Rome, the Roman Empire. Remember we talked about the Roman Empire last week. And it happened, you know, uh, during what you call the, the Judean War. The Judean War. And it was as, as a result of what you call the Great Fire of Rome. The Great Fire of Rome. The Roman Empire was under Nero. Nero Caesar. Nero was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Nero was not the son of Julius Caesar, but he was adopted by Julius Caesar. So he's the one who succeeded Julius Caesar when Julius Caesar died. So Nero took over. And he became the fifth Roman emperor. That's very important. He became the, the next Roman emperor. And he, he only reigned for about 14 days. From, I mean, 14, 14 years, I'm sorry. He was there for about 14 years, from 54 AD to 68 AD. This guy was very, very brutal. He was very evil. He persecuted the Jews. He persecuted the church. 
This man was very, very cruel. He was very evil. Actually, he murdered, he killed his own mother. And he killed two of his wives. He killed them. He persecuted the early church, including Peter and Paul. Nero is the one who burned the whole city, the city of Rome. He burned it. And he blamed, he blamed everything on Christians. He says the Christians are the ones who burned the city of Rome. So that everybody should start to, to, to hate the Christians. He burned the city so that he could build his own luxurious palace. Just imagine, you burned the city. People have no place to stay. People have no place to work. Just because you want to build your own luxurious palace. And he blamed all these things on Christians. So, Christians were persecuted. For, for causing all these riots. And many Christian Jews, what they did, they had to run away from Jerusalem. They had to run away from Jerusalem. Some of them, they went as far as Asia Minor, what you call Turkey today. And in the next moment, I will show you a map of what I'm talking about. And Peter also, he ran away, all the way to, uh, to Rome. Actually, Peter, he went there even much, much earlier than that. And possibly Peter met with Paul when they, they, when they were in Rome. And both of them were finally imprisoned and executed by the Romans, by Nero, in 67 AD. That's when Peter and Paul were, were executed and they died. Nero, a year later, he committed suicide in 68 AD. After he killed Paul and Peter, Nero committed suicide. And when, when Peter was, was crucified, because Peter was crucified, that's how he died. He refused to be crucified like his Savior. He refused to be crucified like Jesus. And he said, they rather crucify him upside down. So Peter later, his own, I mean, just before he died, he wrote a letter, a year earlier before he died. In 66 AD, just before he died, he wrote a letter. And when he wrote this letter, he was still in Rome. He wrote this letter so that it could be circulated among all the Christians who were persecuted in that region. So the letter of Peter was, was written to encourage and also to motivate Christians, to give them hope. These, these Jewish Christians who were running away from Jerusalem, who were in the Asia Minor area, the area that we call Turkey today, these people, they became foreigners because of the gospel. They ran away from their homes. They ran away from their cities. They ran away from their villages because of the gospel. And Peter wrote this letter while he was in, in Rome. You know, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 13, he called Rome Babylon. He says, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings. And so does my son. Mark. Who is Mark? Mark is John Mark that we talked about the other time. Who went with, uh, with Paul and Barnabas on their first mission trip. But what you see here is, you know, when Peter wrote this letter, he was trying to encourage these Christians who were outside Jerusalem to hold on to their hope. The hope of eternal life. That there is hope in Christ even in your persecution, even in your challenges, even in your difficult times, there is hope in Christ. Remember, since Peter was not educated, he was just a mere fisherman. He was not educated. So he had limited knowledge of Greek. 
And you remember we talked about this last week. That you know Greek was the main spoken language of that time. So he was held by Silas. Who is Silas? Remember Silas? Silas the one who left with Paul. After Barnabas left with Mark, Paul left with, si- with Silas on their second mission trip. So that very same Silas, he later met with Peter. And Silas is the one who helped him with uh, the writing of the, uh, the letter of Peter. Because Silas was good in Greek. Was good in Greek. Now let's quickly go through. I want to show you the map of what I'm, uh, I'm talking about here uh, in the next moment. Or so just to have an idea of where we are. Just to have an idea of where we are. Now what we see here, most of you are some, around this area here, in the southern tip of Africa, South Africa, Pretoria. As you go up, we have Zimbabwe, we have Zambia, Tanzania, DRC. As you go up, we have Chad, uh, you know, Sudan, we have Egypt. Now what we are talking about is this area here. This is Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem. So when they flee, they went all the way up to the past, you know, Lebanon, Syria, and this is the Cyprus island. That's where Barnabas and, and John Mark's mother came from, Cyprus. So they moved all the way up to here. This is the modern day Turkey. That's what, that's what we're talking about. And in the next map, I will show you this area here, uh, Turkey, the area of Turkey. That's where the next map shows. When Paul and Peter, when they wrote their letters, they were in Rome. Now, Rome is here in Italy. If you go all the way to the left here, that's where Rome is. That's where they wrote the letters from. That's where they, they ran to. So, Paul uh, and Peter, they were here in Rome. That's where they, they died, in Rome. So, when he wrote these letters, these letters were supposed to come and circulate in this area here, to the Christians who were in this area here. Uh, that's where the, uh, the letters were sent to. So, what we'll see... Uh, let me quickly show you a, a very close map of what we uh, of the area that I'm talking about here. Now this is Jerusalem that we just saw on the map. So they ran all the way they passed Antioch. Remember Antioch? That's where the first church uh, was pastored by. Uh, it was the first church outside Jerusalem actually. It was pastored by Barnabas. So this is the area: Asia, Bithynia, Pontus. Uh, Cappadocia, Galatia. These are the places that uh, Paul, I mean Peter, when he wrote the letter, he wanted this letter to circulate all in, in all this Asia Minor area, in all this Asia Minor area. Let's see what uh, the Bible says uh, in the book of First uh, Peter, chapter one, verse one to two, and we'll start to see what are the lessons that we can learn uh, from this uh, situation. Now, when you read in the book of uh, Peter, the first chapter, first Peter chapter 1, let's see what Peter says. He says, this letter is from Peter. You know, always when they wrote the letter in the olden days, they started by introducing themselves. They would introduce themselves, unlike today where you write the letter and at the end you sign or you put your name, your name at the bottom. But now what they do is, they, they will introduce themselves first, then they write who they are addressing the letter to, and finally, uh, they continue with the, with the letter. So we see the same thing with the writings of Peter here. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Remember I told you they ran away from Jerusalem? Now they became foreigners in other lands. Of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, 
He says, God the Father knew you and chose you. And we'll talk about this in a moment. But he says, you, you are there, but still you are the chosen ones of God. Even in your pain, God still loves you. He chose you and He knew you. He made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that you have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And this is the key. Now we have hope. Even in our pain, even in our foreignness, even in our running away, we still have hope. We still have hope. So truly, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. This is the hope that he's talking about. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So, we see Peter here He's encouraging the Christians who are going through struggles, who are going through a difficult time. He says, even when you go through a difficult time, remember, you still have value in God. God still loves you, even in your trials. Even in your trials, God still loves you. And let's look at the next verse. Peter continues in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you... But you, you are a chosen generation. He keeps on emphasizing this point. Remember, these are foreigners. They ran away from their homes. They ran away from their houses. They ran away from their relatives. They ran away from their families. They are being persecuted for their faith. And Peter says to them, But you are chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Peter gives them hope in their trials. He gives them hope in their challenges. He says, you are a chosen generation. God chose you even before the foundations of the earth. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And as I'm speaking, some of you who are here, you are worse sinners than your brothers and sisters. You are worse sinners than your colleagues. But God chose you. And today you have a testimony. You are a Christian today. Maybe in your family you are the only one who is saved. Maybe you are the only one who is saved at your job. God chose you to represent Him anywhere you are. He chose you to be a Christian. You are a Christian because God chose you. And the next question that you ask, the next question that I always ask myself is, what criteria did God use to choose me? What criteria did God use to choose you? And the answer is, I do not know. I do not know. I don't know why God chose you to be a Christian. I don't know why God chose you to be saved. 
But the Bible says we are chosen. We are a chosen nation. We are a chosen nation. Among all the people in your family. Among all the people in your village. Among all the people in your town. Among all the people in your block. In your street. In your city. He chose you to represent him. I don't know how he chose you. But that's grace. That's grace. So he's saying, Peter says, even if you are suffering, remember, be encouraged. Remember that you are chosen by God. Even though they are going through persecution, God did not forget about them. They are still chosen by God. My brother, my sister, you are the chosen one. You are the chosen one. Even in your hopeless situation, even in your pain, you are still special. You are still chosen. And Peter continues to say, you are a royal priesthood. You are a child of a king. You are a child of the king. Not just a king, but a king of kings. As long as you are a Christian, you are royalty. Peter says, even in your persecution, you still belong to God. Your persecution does not take away your right of being a child of God. Just because you are going through tough time in your life, it does not mean you are not a child of God anymore. You are still a son of God. You are still a daughter of God. The presence of adversity in your life does not mean the absence of God. There is power in sonship. There are privileges that are only reserved for the sons and daughters of the house. Just because you are going through pain today, it does not mean you are not a child of God anymore. And Peter wants to remind these Christians. He says, you are royal priesthood. Remember, you belong to a king. Even in your persecution, even in your difficult time, even in your challenges. And he continues to say, you are a holy nation. You know, holiness, when you speak of holiness, holiness does not mean wearing long dresses. Holiness does not mean wearing a uniform. You know, a uniform is not, it's not that it does not mean holiness. By the way, uniformity is not unity. Just because you wear the same uniform, it does not mean you are united. <laughs> you may wear the same uniform, but you still hate each other. You still gossip about each other. You still wish each other evil. To be holy, it simply means to be separate. To be holy, it simply means to be set aside, to be set apart. It means to be different. Peter says, even in your persecution, remember, you are set apart. You are set apart. You are different. You might be going through persecution right now. You may be foreigners in that land. But know that you are different. You are holy. You are not holy because you, are not, uh, you wear a particular uniform. You are not holy because you are sinless. You are holy because you are in Christ. You have sinned. I have sinned. But God when he looks at us. He says you are holy. He, he says you are holy. Once you accept Christ. Once you accept Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. He neutralizes all your sinful nature. When God looks at you. He does not see Abraham. He does not see Joanne. He does not see Ruth. He does not see Aubrey. He does not see Lillian. He does not see Rose. He doesn't see Nomsa. He doesn't see Amman. He doesn't see uh, Nanaiki. 
No. He sees you through Christ. He sees you in Christ. Because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. So when God looks at you, He sees the Holy Christ in you and He says, You are holy. You are holy because of your position. Not because of what you have done. Your holiness is not based on your doing. Your holiness is based on your position in Christ. You are a saint. You don't have to wait for somebody to have a ceremony, a special ceremony to declare you a saint. You don't have to perform a particular miracle for you to be called a saint. You are a saint because of your position in Christ. When you are in Christ, you are a new creation. When you are in Christ, you are holy. You are holy. Your holiness is not based on your deeds. Your holiness is based on your position. So when God looks at you, He sees a holy nation. And Peter wants to, he wants to remind these persecuted Christians. He wants to remind these Christians who are going through challenges and difficult times in their lives. He says, you are holy. Remember, you are holy. You are His own special people. I love that. Peter says you are, you are so special. Not to be special, it means being different from what is usual. When you say somebody is being treated special, it means he's not treated like any other person. He's treated specially. I mean, there are other pastors who are on here. I can say, okay, uh, Bishop Banda. And when, when I call him out, it means he is special. Why, why, do you, why, why do you mention his name and not my name? Maybe because he is special. So to be special, it means you are treated differently. Just because you are in pain, just because you are going through tough times in your life, it doesn't take away who you are in God. You still remain special to God. You are different from the usual people. This is why sometimes, you know, people do not understand when you say you are special. Remember, there is a difference between being a, a child of God and being a person of God. All of us are people of God, but not all of us are children of God. Only those who have accepted Christ have a right to be called the children of God. Only those who have accepted Christ have a right to call God their Father, Abba. We are all people of God. All of us, seven or eight billion of us, all of us who are people of God. In the whole world. All the nations, whether it's in America, whether it's in Africa, in Australia, in India, anywhere you are, in Madagascar, anywhere you are, all of us, we are people of God. But among the people of God, there are children of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Only those who believe in Him, who have accepted Him, have a right, have the authority to be called the children of God. So people will tell you, oh, we are all the same. We are all children of God. Whether you are Hindu, whether you are Muslim, or whether you worship your ancestors, we are all the children. No, 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 we are not the same. We are not the same. I beg to differ with you if, you if that's what you believe. That's not what my Bible says. We are not the same. We are not the same. We are children of God. If you have not accepted Christ in your life, you are just a human being. You are just a person of God. But once you accept Christ, you become a child of God. We are children of God. We are washed by the blood of Jesus. We are washed by the blood of the Lamb. Our sins are forgiven. 
The Bible says we are special before God. We are a special nation. We are a special generation. These believers were children of God even in their suffering. Even when they were scattered in all over uh, Asia. In all over uh, Turkey. Turkey. They are still children of God. They were going through some sufferings. But still they were children of God. And I want to say this to you as I'm going to close. Do not undermine yourself. You have value before God. Your value does not depend on what you have gone through in your life. You may have been through pain in your life. Maybe as I'm speaking right now, you are emotionally wounded. Maybe you have been abused in your life. Maybe you have been rejected by men. You have been rejected by women. You have been rejected by your own people. Maybe even your own family. Some of you as I'm speaking, maybe you have been molested. You went through some molestation. That does not change your value. Nobody can devalue you. No circumstance can make you valueless. You remain royalty even in your pain. You remain chosen even when rejected by someone. Maybe somebody told you you are useless. You will amount to nothing in life. You have no future in life. Don't believe that. That is a lie. That is a lie from, from, from the pit of hell. You are a holy nation. Even when you are abused or you have been abused or you have been molested. Sometimes you are abused or molested by someone that you trusted the most. That's the most painful part. I know of people who have been abused by their own family members. I know of people who have been abused even by their own pastors. Maybe as I'm speaking right now, you're one of those. You're just thinking, how does he know my situation? I don't know your situation, but God knows your situation and God wants to heal you. You feel like you're hopeless. You feel like you have no future. Because you have gone through so much in life. And I want to let you know that I'm sorry that it happened to you. That is not God's will at all. That is evil. When you talk of abuse, abuse can be sexual abuse. It could be physical abuse. It could be emotional abuse. Or even financial abuse. You know, there are a lot of men who are, who are being abused also. Some men are being abused financially by women. They take an advantage of. Any form of abuse, it's wrong and it's evil. There is no woman who deserves to be abused by any man. There is no man who deserves to be abused by any woman. If you are in that abusive relationship, please go and ask for help. Ask for help. Talk to your pastor. Talk to your counselor. Talk to your social worker. Talk to somebody. Don't keep it yourself. Talk to somebody about it. Talk to somebody that you trust. You do not have to stay in an abusive situation. I know some pastors who will preach that you have to stay in abusive relationships so that you can go to heaven. And that is so misleading. That is so misleading. My brother, my sister, you do not go to heaven based on whether you are married or not. Marriage is not a license to, to heaven. You go to heaven if you have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
And you live right with God. You live right with God. You go to hell if you, if you have rejected Christ in your life. Abuse is not a blessing. Marriage is not a license to heaven. If you are being abused, you don't have to stay there. Seek for help. Seek for help. Cry for help. And there are a lot of people who are willing to help you. Remember, you are special. You are special before God. You are special before God even if you are wounded. You are special even in your woundedness. You are special even in your pain. Even with your emotional pain, you are still special to God. It is not God's will that you stay in an abusive relationship. Do not undervalue yourself. You must seek for help. Ask for help. You have prime value. Your children may not see value in you. Your children may not may, may even disrespect you. Maybe uh, if you are a mother, they did not even send, send any Happy Mother's Day card or just to say Happy Mother's Day to you or don't even show your pictures on, the, on Facebook or your WhatsApp or whatever. You know, it's like they, they don't even recognize you as their mother and you feel the pain that you received nothing for your Mother's Day. You did not receive even a thank you or a card or a gift. But I want to let you know even if nobody values you, you may feel inadequate, but you still have value before God. You still have value before God. Your wife may not see value in you. Your husband may not see value in you. Maybe even your pastor, he may not see value in you. Your school principal, your HOD, your manager may not see value in you. That does not take away your value. You still have value. You may not feel like you have value. Your feelings will never change. Your feelings will never change your situation. Your feelings will never change who you are. You are who God says you are. Not what people say you are. Not what you feel like you are. Your value does not change with your situation. Your value is not determined by what you have gone through in life. Some of you are going through difficult and challenging time right now. You are wounded internally. You are wounded deep down in your heart. But that does not take away your value before God. God still values you. You still have value in God. Your value is not determined by anybody. It does not matter who told you what. Nobody can devalue you. No circumstance can devalue you. Your value is not determined by your husband or anyone else. Your value is not determined by the insults that somebody throws at you. You are who God says you are. You are not who people say you are. Brothers and sisters, you are royalty. You are special. You are a holy nation. Just like Peter told those Christians who were persecuted, those Christians under Nero, those Christians in Asia Minor, those Christians who, were, who, were, who became foreigners just because of the gospel, you are still royalty. You are still special, even in your pain. You are still holy. The Bible says you are a man and a woman of hope. May God give you more and more grace and peace and hope. I pray that in your despair, 
You will still find hope in Christ. You will still find hope in Christ. You will be strong like Peter the rock. Your faith will be strong like Peter the rock. Your hope will be strong like Peter the rock. Do not be shaken by your circumstances, my brother. Do not be shaken by your circumstances, your current situation, my sister. No matter how hard, no matter how painful it is for you right now, remember that Christ in us is the hope of glory. There is always hope in Him. There is always hope in Christ. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. God is always on your side. Stay hopeful. Stay strong. Things will change. There is one thing I know about all situations. All situations, including your situation. All situations are temporal. All of them. All situations are temporal. No matter what you are going through, it is a temporal situation. There is always hope, my brother. There is always hope, my sister. Do not give up. Do not lose your faith. Keep the faith even in your pain. Keep the faith even in your difficult situations. God loves you and you will always be special to Him. You will always be a holy nation. You will always be a prisoner of hope. As long as you can still breathe, there is always hope. There is always hope for tomorrow. There is always hope for your future. Your future, your tomorrow, is better than today. Your future is brighter, much, much brighter than your yesterday. Your best days are ahead of you. Don't lose hope. Keep trusting God. It's always on your side. Let's pray.